Um, it's the first boozy sponsored podcast I've ever had. <laughs> I think that makes it more entertaining. I don't know what that says about me as a guest, but... <laughs> Welcome to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that celebrates the women behind the scenes of the British film industry. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. Hello, pod pals, and welcome to the final episode of 2019. It's been a hell of a year, uh, and I feel very grateful to have interviewed 40 incredible women and to have been privy to the telling of a small part of their story. Um, I've loved doing this podcast, and I'm really excited to continue speaking to more great guests next year. This one is vaguely Christmas and New Year themed to hopefully inspire your own growth next year and to encourage reflection and celebration and just thinking about how much you've achieved this year, even if it feels small. And I am absolutely delighted that I got to do this with Jess Jones, someone who I'm really lucky to call a friend. I met Jess working at the BFI and I think she has an incredible work ethic and an infectious personality and it's been really great watching her soar and have lots of success this year. So I was very excited to be able to hear more about that in this interview. We cover a lot uh, from Jess's initial desire to be an actor to her discovery of development, how and why she left the BFI to become a freelance script editor and development exec and also lots of great general chat about the creative process such as deadlines, subjectivity, imposter syndrome, burnout, goal setting. Um, I think it's packed full of gems and also Jess has one of the best answers to the myth busting question I've heard doing this podcast. We also do a quick recap of some of our favourite women helmed films this year so listen out for those recommendations. Uh, I hope by this point you are knee deep in mince pies and baileys and the only thing on your agenda is doing something that makes you happy, uh, especially if it's listening to this podcast. This is episode 40 of Best Girl Grip. I did go to university. I went initially to, to Leeds University uh, and I did English and drama, but I actually dropped out after a year. I, I suffered with depression for a long time mm. um, and was really, really, really miserable um, at Leeds. So I dropped out after a year and then I ended up going to Brunel University and to do modern drama studies. And I, I'd always wanted to be an actor. Uh, so I didn't necessarily at that point want to be in, want to work in film. And actually at Brunel, in doing modern drama, I was doing lots of like performance art and I was very pretentious. And yeah, and for a while I think that's what I thought I wanted to do and write really like academic essays on performance art and things. And then after Brunel, I actually moved to New York and trained as an actor. So, yes, went to university, but all over the place, really. Mm. (laughs) And did it take quite a lot of courage when you were at Leeds to say, actually, this isn't making me happy, I need to walk away from this? Do you remember that sort of, like, thought process? Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it took courage in a way, but actually, I was in, I was in such a bad state that it, I, the decision in a way is taken away from me because I just I had to come home I sort of couldn't I couldn't stay at Leeds anymore yeah it it was it sort of was a big decision but it also wasn't Mm. it was just like I've got to get out now (laughs) 
and then moving back to London was a good thing definitely and when you wanted to be an actor was that screen acting theatre acting did you have like a sense of kind of what that was and yeah where where you wanted to take that yeah I think uh anything anything that anyone would wanted to pay me for (laughs) as an actor I was like great I think I did want to do film was always a thing that I thought I wanted to do because uh, I as I I kind of thought about it as a like the size of canvas of, of of acting and I felt like I liked the idea of it it was a sort of closer more detailed uh canvas on which to paint as an actor and I whilst I love the theatre and I see a lot of theatre it held slightly less appeal for me as a performer although the kind of live interaction obviously is is amazing um, but then there were kind of lots of you know, sort of immersive theatre things um, that I would have been really interested in because you sort of got the audience interaction but in a more intimate way. But yeah, I think film was sort of where I wanted to go, definitely. And did you leave New York to continue to pursue acting or was that kind of like game over, I think, you know, redraft what I want to do now? No, so I so I left New York. A lot of the decisions I made in my 20s were because of very poor mental health and, and poor choices in general. Uh, so, no, I ended up leaving New York uh, because, again, I was in a kind of terrible state. And I was working at the time. I worked at a nightclub in New York for a while that was mad. And kind of <laughs> everyone I worked with was like... I mean, it was, it was so fun as well. And I it was, worked with drag queens and like go-go dancers and DJs and drug dealers and those were all the sort of people I was um, spending my time with but I think New York is a funny place in that it can really drag you under if you Mm. sort of are not you know if you don't have kind of good grounding and you're not really tethered to anything and sort of being a kind of out of work actor slash working in a nightclub not a great environment for <laughs> good mental health yeah, really and self-esteem yes yeah. yeah so again that was a sort of I moved well I was actually in the middle of making a visa application to stay there which thank god I didn't get mm. because um, well I mean genuinely I don't I don't actually know if I'd be alive now if I'd if I'd stayed uh living in New York because it was, it was a mad time uh I used to like climb buildings and things when I was really wasted I look back and I'm like wow how did you not die um so I sort of moved back again for (laughs) for mental health reasons which was good and then I continued acting here for for a while and yeah and after a while that that really sucked Mm. acting's hard and I realized that I was just uh temping more than I was acting so when people asked me what I did I would kind of want to be like I'm an actor I'm a temp (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with temping but that wasn't sort of what the goal was. Did it kind of happen at once that you were suddenly like okay I don't want to act anymore or did it happen quite gradually and you what kind of temping things were you doing as well was that like a window into another role in film? Um, It was later on at that point it wasn't I was I was temping alongside trying to do some trying to do some acting and then I was trying really, really hard to get an agent for a really, really long time. And really, that was a kind of a hard, I mean, few years of really, really trying to get an agent. And I focused a lot of energy on that. Um, and I was doing all, so- all sorts of temping jobs. I mean, temping's, temping can be really mad. I had a job once where I had to 
mail out 14,000 egg timers. <laughs> egg timers? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, this, this was obviously in, uh, uh, in a different time. Um, <laughs> um, to, I, I mean, I don't even know. It was like a three-day job, and wow. it was just me mailing out 14,000 egg timers to, to loads of different countries around the world. And I have no idea what it was actually but yeah but egg timers so no it wasn't a kind of it wasn't a sudden thing I actually when I moved back from New York I ended up directing a short film that I was also in that I initially I'd I'd initially sort of taken a step into doing that because I'd wanted some showreel footage as an actor and then ended up directing this short film and I absolutely loved it and after I directed that I felt I mean at the time and maybe it was sort of my lack of exposure and connections it felt like there weren't loads of platforms to be able to share your work and so I set up a screening and networking night called Rising Tides as in Rising Tides raise all ships um that was the philosophy behind it and I wanted to create this like amazing community where everyone was like working on each other's short films and uh, supporting each other and I ran that for about two years it's quite a lot of work it was monthly presumably free you're not being paid yeah exactly (laughs) sorry just drinking my wine yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so it wasn't paid and it was all kind of completely self-generated and having to find new films every month and stuff but it was also great um I loved it Mm. and uh it was definitely sort of one of the first things that made me realize that I love championing new talent which is sort of definitely where where my niche is now uh in the in the work that I'm doing now and so that was it was a really sort of useful first step into that actually and sort of off the back of that I started working in a production company just as an assistant and that's when I found out what development was and was and I couldn't believe that that was a job and I always say this that I was I was sort of blown away by the fact that you just get to like sit around and talk about stories and stuff and I just thought that was really cool and at the same time still trying to be an actor and sort of failing miserably and it made me miserable in many many different ways and then eventually eventually I did get an agent as an actor a great agent but it was weird it was like when I got that when I got an agent it sort of allowed me to almost let go of that as a goal and allowed other things into my life a little bit more and that's when I sort of really connected to the idea of doing development and stuff and that really excited me. I'm really interested in that kind of I mean you use the word failing but I wouldn't characterize <laughs> that but just sort of like stepping away from the actors career yeah. because of the actors that I know I think when you declare that as an interest a lot of people ask like well what's your backup plan it's almost yeah. like there's an immediate sense that it might not happen yeah but then also it's it's probably quite hard to sort of say I want to be an actor and for that not to happen and to then kind of recreate a new kind of a new dream or a new aspiration and to sort of yeah step away from that initial idea did you kind of feel that way was it quite hard to sort of say actually I'm gonna put this away and you know concentrate my efforts on something else definitely yeah because that's all I had ever wanted to do forever and I and I sometimes still get days now where I'm like what about that dream I had I I remember my mum saying to me yes you want to be an actor but what does that actually mean for the rest of your life and I had such a kind of narrow focus on that was it. That was the only thing that I wanted to do. 
Uh, and I kind of had no concept of what I wanted beyond that in terms of, you know, all the other things that life has, has to offer. So now you, when I sort of occasionally get those days where I'm like, oh, I didn't make it as an actor, I feel really grateful to be able to look around at all the other things that I now have because I've sort of allowed those other things to grow. Mm. It was a difficult thing to let go of for for a while but at the same time I felt like the development stuff was growing really naturally and I and I and I found I was so excited by it um and it's a funny thing like with acting it doesn't or often it doesn't matter how hard you work or how talented you are there's no sort of cause and effect. Whereas I was finding working in development that actually if you work hard and you're good at it, then that, you know, you can sort of build, not you know, always things don't always kind of work out, but there's a sort of much more of a sense of a kind of clear trajectory and being able to build on things. Mm. And that was really exciting. And so I ended up following that. And, you know, and eventually I kind of, <laughs> I ended up having to sit down with my agent they sort of checked in with me after, I mean, honestly, like two years of not having really heard from them. And I kind of had to be like, just do you know that I do a different job now? I don't, I, I don't think I am an actor yeah. anymore. <laughs> and they were actually really, really supportive and, and great. But it, but it was, it was a kind of, it was a difficult thing to let go of. And I and I remember, I remember googling a lot, like what happens when your dreams change, or <laughs> like how can you let go of a dream that you've always had, and th- yeah. and things like that. Don't really know if I found anything useful, but yes, and presumably it's that it's finding something else that excites you, exactly. and that motivates you, and so it doesn't feel like a dream lost. It just feels like you definitely know, has replaced it and given you like the vitality that that Absolutely. initial dream had. Yeah, and I'm interested to know oh, because you've sort of had this sort of pre build up to development or yeah. pre-career did it feel quite difficult coming to it quite late did you like feel like you were experiencing any sort of like setbacks or imposter syndrome because you were like I'm starting out when maybe other people had already progressed yeah de- um, imposter syndrome definitely uh and I still have that and I still I still see myself as someone who's who's very new to the to the industry and yeah so so de- definitely imposter syndrome but I think I think because it was a second career, I also had this real like motivation and just I in every kind of every role I went into and I and I actually moved between roles quite quickly. I sort of got in and was like, right, hit the ground running. What can I ask for? And I sort of whilst having kind of crippling (laughs) imposter syndrome or maybe not crippling because I sort of managed to push past it. I was also like, I want to do this thing. How do I do this thing? Can I, you know, can I do this reading or can I sit in on this meeting and and things like that? Mm. So yes, you know, under the surface, I I I definitely yeah had the had this imposter syndrome, but I think I sort of I asked for what I wanted mm. <laughs> actually, um, which worked somehow. It might be worth mentioning now that you are a script editor and yes. a development consultant. And yes. what was kind of the first job that maybe gave you an insight into that that opened up that world to you yeah actually the first sort of the first really big one and this was a temp job uh initially was I worked in channel four drama Mm. um so I was only supposed to be there for a week and then was there for much longer and that was really amazing and that 
because I think particularly because I, I initially I thought I was only going to be there for a week I was like right I'm going to learn everything that I possibly can in this week and I'm going to you know I, as I say sort of ask to sit in on things and you know ask if I could read things and write coverage and feedback and stuff and and they sort of let me do it I thought it was really really exciting I still get really excited when I get a new script and when you read something from you know a new voice you're just like oh wow I've never thought about it and you know Mm. thought about something in those terms and I think that that's really cool so yeah channel 4 drama which isn't a bad introduction (laughs) yeah Um, (laughs) yeah, which was great and I mean definitely had major imposter syndrome in Mm. in there I was like how the fuck did I end up doing this and from that job was it quite like a quick succession into other roles or were you still having to like you know hustle quite hard to get each next thing it was quite quite a quick succession actually uh so I was there I was at I was at channel four for sort of I think maybe nine months or something and a reading role came up at uh, in BBC drama that um, the head of development at Channel 4 put me forward for, which I then got and moved uh, to the BBC. And then quite quickly after that became a development coordinator there. So yeah, so it kind of all happened. It did all happen very quickly. And it's sort of, yeah, it's funny... You know, I'm really trying, it's interesting that coming up to sort of the new year and everything, I'm really trying to take stock more of things that have happened. Mm. (laughs) Because otherwise I feel like you can get in that kind of, you know, you're on like the hamster wheel um, and loads of the kind of good stuff that you've achieved can sort of pass you by and you're just like on to the next thing. Yeah, like constantly treating them like stepping stones. Yeah. As to like milestones in and of themselves. Totally. Yeah, and I think all those things need to be celebrated. Um, And actually it was while I was at channel four that I was offered the job at the BFI as a trainee script editor but I but on a kind of deferred placement almost so then I went to the BBC and worked there for a little while and then and then had the the BFI Mm. job lined up afterwards. I'm also quite interested in the nuances of both those roles because mm. there's development coordinator, which was the position yeah. you were doing at the BFI, but then script, sorry, BBC, oh, the BBC, yeah, and then script editing, which you went on to train and then do at the BFI. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the specificities of kind of each of those roles? Yes, uh, I can. Although I know that they sort of vary wildly from place to place. Right. At the BBC a lot of it was quite admin heavy because there are so many submissions that come into the BBC. It's it's insane, the number of projects that are are floating around. Mm. Um, So it was sort of admin-based, like, logging submissions and sending emails and stuff, but then reading lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of submissions. And I think that that was kind of amazing as a as a training ground as well because the more stuff you read the better you know the more able you are to sort of tell when things are working or not working and kind of what's a good idea and you know it's kind of fascinating because now I'm doing sort of some freelance development exec work in a, a tv production company too and it's sort of really interesting being on the other side because at a a broadcaster you see that there are sort of, for every one idea, there are kind of like 10 versions of it that I think on the other side, you can't tell because you're sort of creating, you know, in your own space. Um, And then, yeah, at a broadcaster, you're just, you're sort of, 
it makes it really clear how important that kind of point of difference is within a project and to make sure that you're saying something really distinctive and that really kind of stands out and cuts through because there are there are just so many projects out there but then as a script editor it's much more hands-on there's lots of reading still always lots of reading which is great but more hands-on actually in the editorial process and being in meetings with writers and while I was at the BFI I was really lucky to work lots with Matimba and on lots of the network projects so getting to do lots of those sort of three hour long deep dives into a script and stuff which is when I realised that that's really the bit that I love and Mm. being able to work really closely uh, with writers and really intensively. And let's do a deep dive into the script editing process because it's something that I think you know potentially shrouded in a bit of mystery (laughs) and also just from my perspective where do you even begin because obviously you have to take a sort of I mean, correct me if I'm wrong at any point, but maybe a slight backseat because it is the writer's voice and the writer's project and you're kind Definitely. of, you're not trying to remodel it. You're just trying to perhaps give them pointers on how yeah. they can improve it. I would also assume that you don't want to overwhelm them with all the things Absolutely. that you kind of want to change straight away. Yeah. So yeah, talk me through kind of where you begin and yeah, what it looks like when you look at, read a script and you say, okay, this is where we start. Yeah. And I think that that's a really important uh, distinction to make that it's, you're facilitating someone else's vision and not imposing your own uh which I think to a lot of people would sound quite frustrating Mm. and I know that I've been asked that before but I I I love that facilitatory role I absolutely love it and I think for me what I try and do is spend quite a long time when with whatever project that comes to me I spend a long time chatting to the writer about what their vision is and really really trying to dig into what it is that they want to say because then I can help I can I can sort of look at where there might be places that that story isn't coming through as effectively as it could be so it's not sort of going I think it should go in this direction it's kind of going oh well if you want to go in in this direction these are the things that could be worth changing in order to make that idea really land. Mm. So yeah, so that's a really important part of the process uh, for me is really, really understanding that. And I tend now as a a sort of in my kind of freelance role, I tend not to give written notes and do everything sort of in a conversation because sometimes I, I find that notes can be quite static because you're having to assume what the writer's intention was whereas if you have a chat you can kind of go what was the intention here and they can tell you and then you you can sort of you know give feedback in terms of whether you feel like that's actually clear and it sort of I think for me always comes back to what is your intention what are you trying to say and that's sort of you know every aspect actually just comes back to that and whether it's aligning effectively to tell that story and presumably that makes it more of a dialogue rather than sort of like you know this this and this is what you should be doing like a bullet pointed yeah. list of all the things you've kind of done wrong or you know, any yeah marks. exactly and I think also I think it's always really important to remember that it's subjective so just because I I haven't understood that thing or I think it should go in that direction that doesn't mean it's you know empirically right for mm. any reason so I think it has to be a conversation 
and where you haven't understood something properly and the writer can explain it to you and then you're like oh oh of course actually that does make total sense or that makes complete sense but maybe if you just tweaked this thing it would you know it would land in a clearer way and you know there can be so many voices in the development process as well and you know the producer's notes and whoever's financing it and and everything and so I think you have to be willing to sort of constantly update what you know your perspective is on it uh, and remember that it's it's got to be the writer's perspective and vision that you're facilitating and you're sort of holding all of these different notes and things but always bringing it back around to what they're trying to say and what they're trying to do. And touching on that point of subjectivity I'm interested to know at what point you sort of learn to trust your editorial instinct mm-hmm. and say actually no I, I do think this needs tweaking or changing um, or if there's a more structured approach if there was anyone that you read or people that you went to for advice. I think it's a combination of things. A, I've been so lucky in the jobs that I've done to work with really incredible, you know, so super intelligent uh, people who work in development and being able to sit in on those rooms and hear what they have to say and the things that they pick up on. So that has been so completely invaluable because I think I think when I sort of first started reading scripts you know I think I think we all as humans have a kind of an innate instinct for storytelling and I you know and I felt like I had a good instinct for where things weren't working but I absolutely couldn't articulate why um and certainly I wouldn't have been able to articulate how you might go about fixing it um so lots of the training uh that I kind of had in in these various jobs uh, sort of gave me the language to be able to articulate to identify and articulate those issues more so that was a really big thing and then I think reading loads and again the sort of jobs I've had I've been so lucky to be in sort of three essentially broadcasting environments where you just read so much and I cannot sort of overstate the importance of that in terms of developing an editorial voice uh, because the more things you read the more you get to see as I said earlier you know what's working what's not working and you get to kind of really delve into why this thing is working in this way and why this thing isn't working in this way but then also sort of right at the beginning I did read a lot of um, books on sort of screenwriting theory and stuff and I don't like to be dogmatic in any way uh with them but they were very helpful in helping me sort of again sort of form Mm. that language and understanding of how to analyze scripts and I get stuff wrong you know because we all do again because it is subjective and and again that has to be why it's a conversation and someone will read it and they'll pick up on oh you know they'll read a script and they'll pick up on things that I haven't seen and then I'm like oh yeah of course (laughs) that makes total sense but then I think that's just that's the pro- that's the process. And you mentioned also that you really enjoy the aspect of being a facilitator, but yes. do you also find it creatively fulfilling? Yes, m- massively. I feel I feel really lucky to be <laughs> to be doing this. I really, really do. I find it so creatively fulfilling. But I, I but I think it's the the f- like the facilitatory role that I find creatively fulfilling, if that makes mm. sense. Um, and getting you know I feel, I feel like it is honestly without sounding really wanky it is such a privilege to be working on people's stories and to be mm-hmm. working really closely 
with writers um, and for them to sort of allow you into the into the process and trust you with you know with their baby is a real like genuine privilege and you mentioned earlier about kind of taking stock and uh, I think it was a year ago around this time that you left the BFI and you went freelance yes and I'm wondering kind of what you've learned from that process and also why you wanted to go freelance Mm. yeah I've always wanted to be freelance I think part of it probably comes from having been an actor before and you know not having a kind of necessarily a regular nine-to-five or having it in within a kind of temp role and then being able Mm. to leave it when you wanted to I don't I don't do that well in a really structured sort of office environment. It just, it doesn't suit me. So those are sort of personal aspects. But also I like being able to have as much time as is necessary to really like sit down and chat. (laughs) I like a chat. Yeah. Um, It's like you didn't get that as much in an office environment. Well, I think, I think, it's harder and and certainly again sort of in some of the environments I've worked in like BBC Channel 4 BFI you know there are so many projects on the slate that you don't necessarily get that time Mm. and so yeah so so that was sort of behind the decision um to go freelance uh but it just felt it just felt right I guess and I think because there were also other things that I wanted to do and to sort of integrate into the way that I'm working with writers, like the coaching and things, that it just, I felt like I wanted to do my own thing a bit, I think. And it did, did it feel quite scary to sort of like mm. walk away from that, yeah, that nine to five, that regular paycheck? Yes. How did you sort <laughs> of ensure or inure yourself against that? Like, did you have, say you were like, okay, I've got three months worth of projects or you know yeah how did you prepare for that change yeah it it was scary and I was also like is this insane I'm, I work at the BFI like what am I doing so yeah it definitely it definitely was scary and I actually got a job doing some script consulting on there was a project called Born Digital which was mm. a BFI BBC scheme and I got I got a job doing that just sort of at the point that I was thinking of leaving and that kind of gave me the confidence to leave initially um but also I I should say that kind of from a financial standpoint I had a I had a really good safety net in that um my husband uh is sort of you know making decent money at the moment so I think that's really important to acknowledge because it allowed me to sort of take the risk Mm. but know that I, yeah, as I say, had that had that safety net. So it was a kind of conversation with him and sort of saying, you know, it feels like a good time for me to do this. And, you know, if I if it sort of all goes horribly wrong, I'm not going to, you know, be in kind of dire, dire straits. So I was very fortunate to be able to, to make that decision at that point. And was it harder than perhaps you predicted, predicted it would be? Or, you know, has it actually been, you know, more smooth sailing than you thought it might? Yeah, actually, it has been more smooth sailing. I'm still really shocked, actually, at how smooth sailing it has been in, in, in lots of ways. And I think that that comes from many years of trying to make it as an actor and just nothing going right <laughs> ever. So I've been sort of really pleasantly surprised this year that I kind of, I had a vision for sort of what I wanted to do. And I mean, you know, obviously it's not exact. It, there are things that aren't exactly what I had envisioned, but 
more or less it sort of has worked out I still don't really know how that's happened presumably because you're good at what you do (laughs) I don't know the imposter syndrome says otherwise (laughs) but yeah but it has been relatively smooth sailing in terms of work coming in Mm. there are big things I've had kind of had massive burnout this year and been incredibly stressed and that's a thing that I'm trying to figure out and address now and how to manage my time better yeah so as I say smooth sailing in terms of the sort of work coming in but not so much back back to the old mental health issues Mm. you know (laughs) is that because there's been so many projects and you kind of it must be hard to say no when you don't know when the next thing is going to you're kind of taking it all on board now with yeah. your idea I don't know I feel like a squirrel like you're like storing your nuts definitely you don't know where, but, you know. I am a squirrel storing my nuts that's exactly what I am <laughs> but then obviously yeah you've got a lot on your plate and yes that, yeah how how are you learning to manage your time better mm. that's definitely a work in progress uh, I've got lots of ideas for how I might want to try and manage that differently mm. next year part of it Again, and this, I mean, this is the sort of imposter syndrome or lack of confidence that I'm sure that we all have. Part of it is that I probably need to put my rates up. And that's definitely a goal for next year is to sort of sort myself out better financially. And know your worth. Know your worth. Exactly. Know your worth. And I also, I want to make sure that I'm doing the best job that I can do on everything that I take on and to not spread myself really thinly. And in order to do that, I probably do need to be charging more and taking on slightly, you know, and taking on fewer projects, Mm. which sort of feels really scary. And then I'm like, oh, God, do I deserve that, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all the sort of normal stuff, I guess, that we all go through, particularly as women, I guess. Also, I want to be able to, you know, again, I don't not to sound really wanky, I want to be able to help everyone. So when there are projects that come to me where, you know, they don't have a budget or whatever, and I'm, I'm really excited about the talent, I'm just like, okay, let's, you know, I'll work on this for free, and it's fine. And I'll like spend hours and hours and hours on it. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a balance to be struck with that as well, because I definitely believe in, you know, I want to be working on, with talent that I find really exciting and on projects I find exciting. And sometimes there isn't a budget. Um, so I want to be able to leave room for that, but not at the cost of my sanity. <laughs> I'm also interested to know, has, has you got Sorry, an agent? No, no, no. <laughs> that has getting an agent this year, which by the way, congratulations. Thank you. Um, has that helped with the sense of kind of parceling out the work or knowing that you've got a champion in your corner that can kind of help yeah. you get work? Definitely. And that's been a really interesting thing, again, sort of comparing to my old life as an actor, how horribly difficult it was to get an agent and how... I think my relationship, I mean, my my agent as an actor, that they they were absolutely amazing, but the relationship was very different. And yeah, now with Kelly and Ava at Sales Screen, who are amazing and so lovely, it feels very collaborative. And it's so helpful having someone to sort of strategize with and, you know, where you being able to sort of be like is this a stupid thing to do or is this a good thing to do even kind of small things of you know how you put things on your cv and you know things like that it's really 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 useful and then you also offer that you know is that part of what you're doing (laughs) helping other people strategize and where did that impetus come from 
and yeah talk me through kind of what you do there I um I actually I do I do um I do quite a lot of spiritual work and I have trained as a, a spiritual healer so this is something I've been doing for about eight years now and where the idea kind of came from to sort of combine that with something slightly more sensible like coaching I actually have to credit that all to Lizzie Frankie at the BFI uh who's amazing but we had a chat and I ended up sort of telling her that that's what I did and she was like oh my god you have to combine that with development and it was not really something I had thought about before but actually there's quite there's quite a lot of crossover in terms of the sort of skill set and the more I've worked with people the more I've realized that there is a need when you're working really closely with someone and really intensively and on stuff that you know is often very very personal it can bring up a lot of stuff and I also think that you can't separate you can't separate out the script from the writer and that to move a script forward and facilitate the movement of a script going forward actually it can be really helpful to be able to work with the person mm. <laughs> which sort of seems like an obvious thing in a way but when I realized that I was like oh this is interesting um so yeah so now I'm training as a transformational coach and I'm taking on practice clients at the moment which is very exciting and then yeah so next year I'm sort of hoping to be able to bring all of those strands together a little bit more yeah and so sort of combining all of those things with script editing so that's like the next the next phase next year presumably it's just about normalizing the need for that and the more we do talk about people needing support that is you know on a human level as well as a creative kind of professional level such a sensible way of putting it and then because it's the Christmas special episode yes. um, and we're talking about, uh, obviously it's the season for kind of resolutions and goal setting and yep. that kind of ties in quite well with your new endeavour. Mm. I'm wondering how you advise people to sort of set realistic goals um, and stick to them as well as yourself, how you kind of say, okay, this is what I want to achieve in the next year um, yep. and make incremental kind of gains towards that. Well, interestingly, the coaching actually is is non-advisory. So that's an important thing to flag, that right. it's like a kind of collaborative, again, it's a sort of collaborative relationship. So it's not about me necessarily saying this is what you should do. It's sort of, again, it's it's kind of facilitating. Mm. Uh, and it's sort of facilitating someone's, I think the way I've heard it described is uh, facilitating their journey from where they are now to where they want to be. Uh, so I don't necessarily advise on that st- on that stuff I actually love things like so this year I've used the project love journal I don't know if you is that fen- no not fen cotton zone? oh no so it's not like but a happy journal or yes like that. she probably okay. has a very a very similar thing but no it's a project love which is another podcast I love sorry I'm cheating on you no, another no, podcast. No, no. <laughs> there is room for many so they have they have a really cool journal which is called well so this one will be goodbye 2019 and hello 2020 I, I I really like stuff like that that sort of it sets out loads of questions for you know again taking stock of the year that's just gone and mm. sort of everything that you've achieved and where there's room for growth and and things like that and then setting goals 
for the for the next year and then there are like quarterly check-ins because your goals change and mm. your needs change and it's been really interesting for me looking at some of the goals that I made at the beginning of the year that actually don't really feel relevant now so I think it's really important to give yourself the room to sort of update goals as well and change your mind I think that's exactly that we don't allow ourselves and all the 100%. resolutions don't cater to it's yeah that it has to be something that yeah as you say applies throughout the entire year and that's not you know always the case exactly exactly and yeah and th- yeah things change and we change so yeah that, and that's allowed that's okay and speaking of kind of again yeah taking stock and reflecting is there something that you're particularly proud of having achieved this year I'm really proud to have worked with all the writers that I've been able to work with this year but from a sort of really basic standpoint my goal at the beginning of the year was to be able to like to make sort of take this risk in going freelance and make this leap but be able to pay my rent (laughs) and that was a sort of like quite Mm -hmm. small goal be able to pay my rent and kind of be able to finance myself and I have managed to do that which feels like a really big thing that that actually feels really exciting (laughs) Mm. and is it kind of through word of mouth that you're getting like the next job or kind of how does that process work yeah a lot of it is word of mouth definitely um I sort of have a few recurring clients so I do a lot of work for three of the network hubs and work a lot on their projects and then I and then I I do this sort of freelance development exec role for um, a TV company called Bonafide. Mm. The kind of thing I'm most passionate about is working with new talent. So getting to do that for Network is amazing, and I think what Network do is amazing. I think it's brilliant, and I love getting to work with them. Uh, and then actually, I'm really lucky in the projects that I'm developing with the production company as well. In that uh, I'm getting to work with a lot of new writers for that too people I'm really really excited about and across all your experience uh is there a myth that you particularly want to bust around either something specific to your job and what you do or working in the film industry in general you just think that needs to be cancelled by 2020 (laughs) one of the things is that it's not sort of magical and that you don't have to be a special kind of person to work in film or be a director or be a writer not to take away in it in any way from the sort of extraordinary talent that that people have but I think from the outside it can look like oh those people are different from me and that therefore that's not for me but I I don't think that's true in that you know you just have to sort of turn up every day and do the work in the sort of creative process of writing and things it's just a lot of really hard graft. Again, of course, there's talent. Of course, there's, you know, great ideas and uh, and, and things like that. So not in any way to, to minimise the importance of that. But it's just sort of, it's just graft. <laughs> mm. I don't know. Does that, does that make sense? That feels yeah. like... I think that's really beautiful as well. Though, and I think that's probably what script editing makes quite clear. Is mm. that for every writer, yes, there's talent inherent in what they do and the ideas that they have. But it as you say, it is a process and it requires work to make the story the best it can be because I think you get all these, like, stories about, like, John Hughes writing Breakfast Club in, like, four days and you just think that, you know, a lot of people hear those things and think, oh, well, you must just have that story inside of you. You can suddenly, like, blurt out and it's not always Mm. the way. No, I mean, and, and of course there are examples of that, but I think 
most of the time it's just yeah it's getting up every day and putting the work in you have to sort of you have to do it anyway whether you're feeling inspired and feeling excited and you're kind of in the zone sort of doesn't matter because you've got deadlines to hit and you know people that are relying on you to kind of deliver a draft and so you have to find a way to get to just do it anyway and yeah I think as a script editor you are hopefully I think more than providing a structure I think it's providing accountability and this is something that actually I want to I'm planning to try and start in the new year for January is providing a sort of accountability structure for people when they're writing because I do a little bit of secret writing secret writer and the thing that I have found most helpful over the years is just having having a deadline I actually did a kind of novel writing course this year which was really interesting and you had to sort of check in every so often and tell the people that sort of, that ran it sort of what, what your word count was and you had to send them your work uh, but they wouldn't necessarily read it right uh, and I found that really helpful because I had to send it to them yeah uh, but they but it didn't have to kind of be perfect but I had to get the words out mm. and so I've actually been doing that with a few writers this year and it's something that I'd really like to formalize in structure and stuff and because I think I think there are lots of people who would be able, who want to write and, you know, would be able to write and you just sort of need someone there to, A, be a cheerleader, but also to be like, hey, where are your words? Yeah, <laughs> Send yeah. them to me now. I think it just, it, it provides a sense of like, it has to be done because otherwise you can get so into your own head about like, why am I bothering or like, why, yes. why, why is my voice worth it? Or Definitely. why is this, you know, storytelling? Whereas just having that sort of like, empirical kind of sense of like a date just yeah I don't know it helps get rid of those yeah like doubts well you have to get rid of them because you've got to deliver something so you have to put them to one side so those kind of questions are you know I'm always plagued with of yeah is this a worthwhile story like what right do I have to tell this Mm -hmm. like what you know have I got anything interesting or important to say and like how dare I think that I do have something important or interesting to say uh you know and all of those things that that when there's a deadline you just have to turn that off and be like shut up because I just have to get this on the page and and send it out so I think that that can be really helpful and then kind of coming to the end uh, of the episode I kind of want to know um what have been some women helmed or written stories that you've particularly enjoyed this year yeah um and also if there's something that you feel is undervalued that more people should be watching given the nomination (laughs) announcements this week I feel like all the work made by women is being undervalued. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, so, yes, that's horrific. But, yeah. Also, but the, can, can we just say the Golden Globes are, like, shit. Like, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, like, <laughs> like no one really looks at them as sort of, like, the market. Like, I don't sure. ever think of anything as being, like, oh, yeah, that one is oh, Golden yeah. Globes. So I'm definitely going to watch it. it. Yeah, Like, absolutely. maybe I'll be more inclined to do that with the Oscars, but it's not great. But, but yeah, I mean, Portrait of a Lady... Celine, what a legend. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely been one of my favourite things this year. I've made a list. I feel like there have been so many things that I've yeah, loved this let's, year. Let's dig in. Yeah, Portrait of Lady on Fire, obviously, amazing. Booksmart. Yes. Bloody love Booksmart. Yeah. It's so joyful. It really is. I, just, I, re- I, really, lo- I really, really love Booksmart. And it might be, might be one of my favourites this year. 
I think just yeah, just that friend, like the way that friendship is like portrayed on screen, and yeah. like how much joy they get from being around each other, but also how there's no villains. I think the high, like the high school film, yes, as it's sort of yeah. like borrowing from, has a tendency to sort of put people in like categories or boxes or cliques. Totally. Um, and I think what this does really well is sort of like signal to those things, but mm. then like flips it on its head. Like Completely. everyone sort of has something else going on, and it's written so well. Yeah to like yeah to unpick that yeah absolutely agree with all of that same mod so nff amazing yeah only you souvenir atlantics yes oh yeah did you what why did you love that because i kind of need convincing on that like i enjoyed it but i didn't love it so i similarly interestingly I, i still have it on the list i didn't love it as a film in its entirety but in terms of kind of showcasing a really distinctive new voice I found that really exciting so I think it wasn't a perfect film but I was like oh I really want to see what she does next so I think that's what I found exciting about it and definitely I'd be like yeah you know this is a voice that we should be paying attention to yeah that's so true is that often what you look for in sort of when you you know coming back to the idea of like new talent like it's not about the thing itself being perfect it's about like potential and having exactly yeah yeah completely because I think well I mean there's no such thing as sort of perfect art anyway but yeah particularly at a sort of earlier stage in uh in someone's career you know it's yeah it's it's about kind of for me, it's always like, it, does this person have something interesting to say and do they have an interesting way of saying it? And that might not be refined yet, uh, but yeah, but that's that's what makes me really excited about, about new voices, definitely. Mm. Any other highlights? Uh, a short film, it's just been shortlisted or nominated for BAFTA, I saw the nominations come out. Um, Miriam Raja's film uh, Azar, I don't know, Azar? I, I don't know if you saw it, but it was also long-listed for Biffa but amazing really good I think she's a very exciting new talent yeah. I actually got to work on her one of her short films for Born Digital and yeah I think she's I think she's really exciting Jess thank you so much thank this you so <laughs> Merry Christmas yeah. <laughs> thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip I'll be back at some point in 2020 with brand new episodes, but in the meantime, have a very Merry Christmas.